Welcome to season five of the Another Startup Story podcast. My name is Carmen Tang, your host, and together we'll explore and enjoy conversations around entrepreneurship, creativity, and leadership. In our careers, businesses, passions, and especially our visions, you are invited to learn lesson with us. In today's episode, I speak to Jamie from The Kind Friend, a wellness company that aims to help people live a more mindful life through kindness by offering well-being journals and workshops. Companies that have embraced the Kind Friend journals include Google, Spotify, Facebook, Accenture, LinkedIn, and much more. Previously, Jamie was the regional partnerships lead at Carousel and founded two education businesses in, in Australia. In the notion of giving back to society, she help, hopes to continue to have the opportunity to mentor the younger generation and do much more advocacy work for women. She was awarded 30 Under 30 Young Entrepreneur, WYSE Global Youth's Best Work Experience Provider, Australia's Favourite Education Tech Startup, and ASG Inspirational Teaching Awards. So many, many awards. <laughs> A very talented woman. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about the importance of journaling, redefining the concept of wellness and mental health in the world that we live in today, especially during COVID. Um, and we'll also be dabbling into how to start an e-commerce business and the um, practicalities around that. So without further ado, welcome, Jamie. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here today. You're most welcome. So tell us a bit of a, a bit more about you um, and the field that you started out in your career. You know, I gave a brief intro, but I think our listeners would love to hear a bit more about your personal career um, and how you ended up starting The Kind Friend. I was born in Taiwan and uh, my family immigrated to Australia when I was about 11. Um, my mom has always been my biggest role model in life and um, I also have a younger sister. She still lives in Sydney and now I'm in Singapore. As a kid growing up, my two favourite things, like my art, like art and um, sports were my like two of my favorite things to do I remember I used to be very athletics and I would compete on behalf of my school for like a hundred meter sprint and 200 meter sprint and um, after I graduated from high school by training I studied education at Macquarie University so initially you know I really wanted to be a teacher the reason why was that I found that my strength has never been around spreadsheets or numbers mm. if you were to ask my friends around me they would say that my strength is really around providing space for people, making people feel seen and valued. And um, that's one of one of the reasons why I wanted to be a teacher initially. So mm. I started, you know, right before I graduated from, from university, I started my first education business. And my goal was to instill financial literacy education in primary school kids. Um, and my biggest inspiration for the first business actually came from a book so I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and yeah. that completely changed my view about financial literacy education. You know, back then when I was teaching in school, in front of my eyes, I saw that kids were given a, like pocket money on average in Australia around seven. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, you wouldn't give someone a car key without teaching them how to drive. Mm. Why are we giving people as young as six and seven, so <laughs> like a dollar or two dollars without really educating them the value and the concept? behind you know behind a dollar mm -hmm. so that was my starting point and after that I launched a second business where I had a business partner I just found that entrepreneurship was a really really lonely journey for me with, mm. with a second business I told myself I would not do it alone 
um, did that, did the second business for another three, almost four years before I jumped into Carousel. And um, I, I never really worked for someone. So even mm. before Carousel, I've already met my manager-to-be, JJ. Yeah. And I've also met the founders. I was just so inspired by their vision, um, by what they were trying to create. And I got really fascinated with tech you know my just int- for our listeners so carousel is essentially i mean you might be best to explain just for people who aren't maybe listening in europe or in the u.s who aren't familiar with carousel if you could just share they're pretty big here in asia yeah you can think of them as like the ebay of asia mm-hmm. you know we buy yeah. buy and sell secondhand goods and we were pretty much dominating all the categories in in this region mm-hmm. um so it's a super exciting space to be and also the values you know around sustainability also really align with my mm. value mm. so you know I decided to join Carousel initially as a country manager for Australia mm-hmm. and after almost one year the founders actually asked me if I could relocate to Singapore and that's also one of the reasons why I decided to move from Sydney to Singapore and I've been here for almost uh, for about three years now and I yeah, absolutely love it. Me. <laughs> Surprised we didn't meet uh, sooner but yeah it's interesting. I just kind of want to rewind back a bit uh, you know you you were talking about the business you started um, to essentially um, educate people on financial literacy. At what age were you th- when you started this? I had the idea when I was when I was twenty, and I launched a business when I was twenty one. The first business when I was twenty one. Yeah, that's crazy. So, you know, when you talk about financial literacy, I love the Rich Dad Poor Dad book as well. And we recently had um, two guys who are the founder founder of um, Millennial Money on, like literally the last podcast that I just uploaded. So we we're talking all about financial literacy, and they just launched like over COVID in April last year and they've blown up massively which you know really talks about the huge need for for this right now so you know before we were having coffee a few months ago and you were telling me about this business and I was just so fascinated at how you you know even thought at at such a young age yourself to start a company like that and help children really to learn more and I'd love for you to share a bit more about the kind of pilots and the concepts you did for for kids and how you how they learned to control and manage money, you know, even as like a child, right? You had different games and yeah. <laughs> it was quite fascinating when you were telling me. So I, I love playing Monopoly when I was a kid. So if you if you think about it, can you imagine playing Monopoly and all you do is to wait for that pass go and to collect that $200 without buying anything that would generate more, more money for mm. you? And I feel like a lot of people, we're living our lives like that. You know, we're just waiting for that paycheck, waiting for passing go to collect that $200 instead of using that money to help you generate more income or more passive income. And for me, like play has always been the most important element when it comes to education. I feel Mm -hmm. like when kids are playing, they're learning, they learn much faster and they're more courageous in making mistakes. Mm -hmm. And also it builds into their long-term memory. So based on that foundation, I was like, how can I make something like financial literacy fun? Um, So I kind of emulated what Monopoly is, but turned that into a real life version of a school. So think of Mm -hmm. my, the the learning environment as a real life version of Monopoly. So when (laughs) it's crazy. (laughs) 
<laughs> so when the students, um, when they came into our classroom, they, you know, they apply for a job based on their interests and their passion. So if you like singing, you know, you can apply for a job as a singer. And then every week you might perform for the class and you get paid. So we have our own currency within the classroom. Mm -hmm. But the catch here is that you have to pay for your daily expenses. So mm -hmm. all the chairs that you see within the classroom, they actually have a price tag attached to it. So it's like <laughs> properties, you know, if you yeah, step yeah, on yeah. someone's property, you have to pay rent. Right, so right. essentially, um, initially, every single student had to pay rent for their chair to sit. Okay. Like if they don't pay, they sit on the floor. And I remember we had this student, she was only seven uh, when she started with us and she bought three chairs from us and she, she started renting two, two other chairs out to her friends at a higher price. So, you know, every week when smart, she comes into the classroom, she's earning that passive income. Yeah. And for them, we also have banks and we have um, toy stores within the classroom. So kids can set goals saying, I want to buy that Star Wars toy. Um, but then they'll have to learn delay gratification because if they don't, if they don't have enough money, <laughs> they will have to wait. Um, they have to wait for or they can choose to put it in the bank where they would generate, like, you know, earn interest. Mm -hmm. And I remember we also had three different plants in the classroom. Um, so they like stocks. I'm trying the plants, to the plants. The stocks. Yeah, so they have to do research behind which plant will actually grow indoor. And they would grow. Oh my god. Yeah, gosh. so two plants wouldn't grow indoor. They're right. outdoor plants. And only one of them would grow indoor. So the kids had to do research about these three different plants and see which plant they would want to put money in. Mm -hmm. So like three different plants and then we will measure them um, each week. So the taller the plants grow, yeah, you know, the more um, return on investment they will make. On, on that as well I love that so much and I think you know even speaking to some friends like people are only just starting to learn about the concept of delayed gratification you know now and I think you're right I think those I'm not sure from a scientific point of view at what specific ages you develop you know your long-term memory is lot is strongest um, but you know if, this is why we all go to therapy and we kind of look back at our childhood right because those critical years were the years when we've learned possibly bad, you know, traits or beliefs, limiting beliefs, and good ones too. So I think it's really powerful that you were doing this. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. So then you went on to work with Carousel and you moved to Singapore. Uh, so before I went to Carousel, I started my second business. So I did the first business, financial literacy education business for about four years. And um, I actually failed after four years, but that was, looking back, that was probably the most incredible lesson that I've ever given to myself. I've learned so much, not just about the business world, but I also mm -hmm. discovered a lot about my values, my strengths, um, and what is it that I want to, want to do in my life, and how do I define success through that journey? Mm -hmm. And after that, you know, I found that even though you fail your first business, the passion was still there. So over yeah. a coffee chat, I met my co-founder, just purely over coffee, and she shares similar values as me. Um, both of us are so passionate about education, so we didn't even sign any agreement. It was literally mm -hmm. over coffee, we decided to go into a new business together. Wow. Um, and I think that was my second time meeting her, and we'll just shake hand, and then we're like, let's do this. Um, yeah, so right after I failed my first business, I jumped into the second business. Um, it's education totally as well. Relentless. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, break for the wicked, right? Yeah, I think sometimes when I'm afraid of making the jump, I ask myself this question. Would I regret not doing this in five years' time or in ten years' time? Mm -hmm. If the answer is yes, then 
then I will I will mostly wanted to do it. Like I think yeah. one of my biggest fears is to have regrets in life. And I think Cheryl Sandberg put it pretty well in, in her book, Ling In. Mm-hmm. She always says, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. So I will ask myself, what's the worst that could possibly happen? And I will list all the things down and create a solution and a plan around it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of helped me to overcome my fear and let of my like emotions, if, like, yeah, and know. let my emotions mm-hmm. cloud my judgment. Mm-hmm. It kind of rationalizes things, right? Mm. Slightly. Definitely. So then like... So at what year, so just to tell, you know, share a bit more about The Kind Friend. So it actually started on Instagram as a place to share messages of kindness and positivity. Um, and you launched The Kind Friend Journal in 2019 uh, for community and it sold out in 21 days, right? Um, and you now have customers from over 56 countries across the globe and you've actually almost, you've partnered with over 40 com- uh, companies on their well-being programs and initiatives. So it's quite interesting and we'll go into a bit more depth about that, but you do a lot of B2B as well as, D- as, well as D2C, mm. um, which is really interesting. So why why journaling it's um yeah a lot of people always ask me you know out of all the wellness products that you can create why journal and journaling is actually the product in itself is actually really close to my heart Mm. so I started journaling since I was 12 um so that's right after I my family immigrated to Australia and during that time you know as a kid you you look different to all your friends around you. Mm. You speak a different language. I, I literally feel like I was like dropped into an alien country. Everyone looked different to me and everything that they say in the class, I did not, I couldn't speak English. I couldn't speak wow. a word in English. And on top of all that new stimulation, I was also trying to learn how to cope with my parents' divorce. Mm. So before I knew what hit me, I became moody, distracted. I didn't want to make any friends. I didn't want to engage in any social activities. You know, I couldn't mm. really focus at school. I became like a person, a completely different person. In some ways, I feel like my personality was being altered. And I'm pretty, I'm really grateful that my mom took me to see a therapist during that time. You know, coming from an Asian family, it's not the norm that you hear. I was only 12. Especially back then, this would have been what, 2000 and no. 1990. Wow, you're revealing my age. (laughs) 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 It's fine, we won't go there. But it was was quite a while ago. (laughs) No, but even now, I think a lot of Asian parents kind of not look down on therapy, but it's seen as like, oh, you've got a problem, you have mental health issues, whereas no, everyone should get a therapist. I've recently just started working with one and it's funny you say that you felt like you were like an alien and obviously myself growing up in, in the UK being Chinese, I was like always the only Asian girl at school. And yeah, I forgot how much, yeah, like, like uh, it's weird how you kind of, it's so normal to me now and obviously being Asian doesn't bother me and it's, I don't really receive like racism. But at the same time, I think growing up, I was so self-conscious just being Chinese and I always felt different to like my blonde and brunette friends and that definitely created you know limiting beliefs but anyway we won't go down that um, rabbit hole but it's I can totally resonate with what you're saying there for sure yeah and then going back to journaling so it was during my therapy sessions that my uh, my therapist recommended me to journal. Mm. Not only that, she also taught me all these different science evidence-based regulation methods to help me regulate my emotions. 
Um, so that's, you know, that's how I started to journal. And, but why we decided to create a product journal, it has very little to do with my story. I think the kind friend was born out of a community. Mm-hmm. So we, we started the community on Instagram in January 2019. Mm-hmm. Initially, there was no goal attached to it. We purely, it's a side hobby. You know, my husband loves writing. He just wanted to create an account that's for for him is a creative outlet. And he wanted to amplify kindness and, you know, elevate humanity within the online space. So every day he would just put some content out there, um, hoping that will brighten up someone's day. And what happened was we were really, really surprised at how quickly our community grew within such a short period of time. Mm. I think within 10 months, we've garnered over 10,000 followers. Wow, and, that's um, crazy. And, and you did no kind of like sponsored ads at the time or anything? Initially, we did very little. Um, so mm. if you looked at our the Kind Friend IG account, there were there are a lot of quotes, and on average, each quote gets shared over two hundred and fifty times. Wow. Uh, it becomes a conduit for connection. You know, people were tagging their friends. Yeah. They were share onto their IG posts. They were share with their friends, and that's what I really love about the um, Kind Friend community is having that ripple effect. You know, we put a content out there, and our followers are able mm. to provide that content to the people within their network, people within their social network and share it. Um, And we started to collect thousands and thousands of stories from our followers. And that's when we realized that it doesn't matter if you're a mom, you know, you're a professional, Mm -hmm. a student, an artist or an entrepreneur, it seems like every everyone's experiencing some sort of anxiety and depression in their journey. Mm. Um, and that kind of gave us different ideas on what kind of products we can create to help, you know, people make time for self-care and mm-hmm. help debunk the stigma associated with mental health. Yeah. And through all these surveys, journaling came on top. Um, and that's why, you know, we co-created our first product, the, the Kind Friend Journal, with our community. Essentially, we actually asked them, what exactly do you want to see inside the journal? Mm. What colors would you like us to create? And we really see our followers and our customers as the stakeholders of our brand. I love that. So it's just more of like a co, cooperation in a way. And there's that joint co-creation, co, um, which is part of the reason why, you know, brands like Glossier have kind of grown, you know, blown up over the years because it's definitely co-created with its um its uh consumers and other customers so when we're talking about journaling you know so you started journaling because your therapist recommended it for you right um I started journaling when I was probably 20, 24, 25 so I was quite late to the game but it's like I literally do it I've been like religious about it maybe not every day but at least I've probably journaled at least, you know, two, three times a week since the age of 24. And it's just, it almost feels weird when I go like a few days without journaling. That's like, it's almost like there's built up kind of tension or things that I just need to release out. Um, so, you know, for anyone who's kind of new to journaling, can you talk a bit more about the benefits of journaling? Because it sounds so simple, just like writing things things down, but actually there's a lot more. It multiplies on clarity and awareness and there's a lot more benefits than most people know, I believe. So it'd be great to, you know, hear more about why you think journaling is so, so powerful. Yeah, you know, in today's society, I think we put a lot of emphasis on fitness, on physical health. Um, and if you think about physical health, journaling for me is my mind gym. 
that I go to every single day. Mm. It's kind of like when you go to the gym, you do a certain workout, you can build your arm muscle, you can mm-hmm. build your abs muscle. But how often do we actually talk about the mind gym that we can actually invest yeah. our time and energy into on a daily basis? Um, and when it comes to benefits, there's actually so much science and research behind it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the biggest one that really skyrocketed recently, which is around gratitude journal. Um, you know, I, I usually mm. will write three things I'm grateful for before I go to sleep. And science actually show that when you do that, it allows you to reframe your mindset. Mm-hmm. And um, it also releases two very important neurotransmitters within your brain and that that control your emotions so that activates happiness and allows you to sleep better um, which is so you know if you can sleep better that's so important for your immune system and for mm. your nerve function right so mm-hmm. it's not just good for your mental health but you actually also have benefit for your physical health um, and I'm not sure right now like how many tabs you have on your laptop when you're working you know for me I actually only have three I'm really <laughs> I'm quite good at that it stresses me out if I have too many but I'm always on Zoom calls and I see people with like, you know, 20 tabs and it just gives me anxiety. So I just so count mine. I have 12. How many? Oh no. <laughs> and for me, when I kind of write down uh, my experiences, my reflections, my thoughts, or even just perspectives on life, mm-hmm. it's kind of like closing the tabs oh, that I, I have that on analogy. my laptop. It allowed me to give my brain a breathing room to mm. reset. And being able to integrate with integrity, you know, we talk about data all the time, but what about the data that you have on your thoughts? Yeah, um, how often do point. we make document that? And when you're able we'll to organize document, it, right? Exactly. So when you have all those yeah. documentation, you actually have so much data about how you can help yourself reframe mm. your mindset and become the best coach that you can ever have. Mm-hmm. During COVID, you know, your family might not be around you, your mentors, your friends may not be around you, but you will always be around yourself. So yeah. journaling allows me to learn how I can be the best coach that I can ever have in terms of training training my mindset. Mm. And I found that the way you think, you know, you're in the in a dialogue eventually will become the way you see the world um and another thing that i enjoy doing while i journal is also capture all the things that makes me happy and when you do that it's allowing your brain you know to relive that moment twice and that also you know boosts your happiness boosts your confidence um and through and through journaling for so long it really helped me to understand how I would like to measure my life Mm. and I love how Warren Buffett coined this phrase the inner scorecard um I'm not sure if you heard of it before I do like a lot of Warren Buffett well Naval Ravikant I listen to a lot of his stuff and he obviously refers to Warren a lot but is it kind of like the life the pie the pie chart of your life which is split into different segments yeah so he mentioned something similar you know he say in a he say that you know all the things that our society is asking us to pursue such as money success mm-hmm. success fame and beauty you you see them as a numerator you know if even if you have so much of them but if the denominator such as regret unhappiness loneliness they get it gets so big um, even if you have all the things that the society is telling you to chase, 
your life mm-hmm. will still end up meaningless. Right, and I by see. yeah, by documenting kind of my journey, my experiences, especially with my first business, I realized that I was constantly seeking external validation in my early 20s. I was doing things to please others without really understanding myself. Didn't we and, all? <laughs> yeah, and then by going through having all that data point allow me to understand, you know, how I can know myself and I feel like that's like building a house. That's your foundation. You really mm. need to understand your values and in order to live your fullest life and fullest potential. Yeah, that's so interesting. I think you made loads of good points about you know, firstly, the gratitude component. Um, I also heard that actually, you know, the act of writing down those gratitude points is, is like, it's been scientifically proven to be a lubricant for the brain um, to make, you know, to release serotonin. So you're so Mm. right. And you mentioned about um, not only organize, I love the point that you said your brain is almost like, if you think about computer and all the data and having like organizing it into files, like you need to do that in your brain as well and journaling is a great way to do that Mm. um and then the third point was around um capturing your life's best experiences like the one thing I love about journaling is sometimes when I read back to journal posts that I wrote two three years ago I've totally forgotten I even wrote that down and I and and you look at your life now and you're like hey these are the things that I like was like wishing for like praying for and they've actually happened and it's just it's always like a reconfirmation to know that you're moving in the, the right direction. And like you said, it's a boost of confidence. Um, but also when things haven't happened, you, you look back and you can reflect and understand that maybe that wasn't the right timing or you were so naive or to, to, to want that to come. So I think looking looking back and being able to identify the patterns, because I think a lot of people live in patterns. And if you look back over your life, you see you know patterns professionally and personally and journaling and documenting that down really helps for you to yeah identify the points there and improve um in a way so really really like that yeah and one thing I've noticed with our younger customers it's also a way for them to release their inner artist Mm. um I love seeing you know some of our customers especially you know university students tagging us on on social media and they will pull like all these stickers they will doodle everyone express themselves differently I think when it comes to journaling sometimes people immediately create that image in their head it's it starts with dear diary and you just have to document your entire day Mm. because that's what we've seen right right. um, in movies you know girls will write dear diary and they'll write about boys (laughs) But there's no a right or wrong answer. Sometimes my journal may just be dot points. You know, I just listen mm. to a podcast. I want to yeah, write totally. down all the things I've That's learned. That's what I do as well. <laughs> yeah, so I love doing that. And sometimes it might be doodling. It might be just scribbles. Um, and sometimes it might be a gratitude list. Sometimes it might be the things that make me smile. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it might be my goals in life. I feel yeah. like there's something so powerful with physically writing with mm-hmm. your hand. Because that stimulates a different part of your brain yeah. that typing would never be able to. And that's why in meetings, you know, sometimes when you have obstacles or, or problems mm-hmm. that you wanted to solve, people tend to say, that's have a whiteboard session. No one really would say, let's have a typing session and see how we can solve this issue. (laughs) That's so true. They do say that you're most likely to achieve your goals if you write it down. Sounds so simple, but it really does. Um, I sometimes find kind of even just writing, drawing like a line, a long horizontal line in the middle of my page and like doing a short timeline as to the goals and kind of having milestones is I'm a bit of a visual learner. So that helps me a lot. I do that on like a quarterly basis or so. 
Um, but in terms of like how you journal, you mentioned you're, you're quite like me, you're quite sporadic and you're not too, I don't like to be too organized or too kind of structured because then I feel like it takes away the whole, you know, just like brain dump and the whole, you know, rawness of it. And um, I think you've read The Artist's Way as well, the book by Julia Cameron, and she talks about uh, morning pages. And I love the way she talks about how essentially it's the, as soon as you wake up, like before you do anything else, you're almost in this state of unconsciousness and it's an amazing way to just dump everything down on paper and do that consecutively for like 20 days or so and you just feel like a instant you know sense of relief in a way have you tried that so my I have a routine when it comes to journaling uh usually my I definitely journal first thing in the morning actually Mm -hmm. not first second after my run and I usually ask myself what does success mean to me today yeah so that's a way of visualizing what success means to me and what's the most important thing that I need to get done today. Mm -hmm. I found that having small wings is really important for me, especially when you're running a business. Small wings is that fuel that will allow you to stay motivated, um, to keep going. Mm. And before I go to sleep, that's when I will write down, you know, what are some of the things I'm grateful for about today. So I usually like to start my day on a high note and end my day on gratitude. And I found that if you can do that, usually you tend to have a good day and if you have a good day, then you have a good week, you have a good month, you have a good year mm. and a good decade. And then looking back, you're, because of this simple ritual, sip and tool, yes. yeah. you'll have a pretty awesome life. Yeah, it's so simple, isn't it? But it's crazy how, you know, I kind of wish that we learned this stuff in school um, because it's totally changed my life, just a simple act of journaling. And what I love about the kind friend journals is that you have the different sections where you can write down your, you know, your habits and, um, you can keep track of, you know, there's a little section you can like, for me, I like to document what I'm eating to try and keep on track with nutrition and your goals and everything. So it's a bit more kind of created in a way so it can help you kind of drive and, and create your day in the best possible way. Um, which is really helpful. Um, and so I guess like my next few questions is really around, um, you know, obviously the kind friend is an e-com business. You've got a component of B2B, but also D2C. So first looking at the D2C component, you know, when we look at e-com, a lot of people think it's just like branding, it's marketing, but actually so much more than that. A lot of it is actually very tech focused, very data focused um, and product focused. So can you kind of share a bit more about, you know, if I was looking to start an e-com business, what are the what are the kind of key practical steps that you think one should think about or, you know, the biggest challenges that you think you've gone through uh, since starting this online business? I think this is relevant not just for anyone who wants to start an e-commerce business or a digital business. The first thing that people often find, which is difficult to get initially mm-hmm. it's product market fit yeah um, so what absolutely. I've noticed with my first business I didn't do enough research you know I read the book and it says sold millions and millions of copy worldwide I'm like oh that's my data point <laughs> <laughs> so many people bought this book they must want my business the rich dad poor dad, <laughs> yeah, rich yeah. dad, poor dad. <laughs> so I you know I think that's the beauty of learning from mistakes I'm like I'm yeah. not gonna make the same mistake I don't want to jump versus practical right <laughs> yeah so I was like I want to make sure I don't jump into the water with both feet if I wanted to do this full time mm. so how we test the idea obviously the first one was we gratefully we already have a community that allows 
us to understand what kind of product we can create. Mm. But we took a step further. We actually created a landing page, which is some mock-up images before we even think about creating the actual physical product. So we had a few mock-up images of our journals with the templates. And um, yeah, we just see how many people actually sign up. And I had a number in my head. I was mm. like, if you hit this number, that's when I'm going to resign from Carousel and do this full time. Right. So within less than three weeks, all, over 4,000 people sign up wanting to buy our journals. Wow, that's crazy. And that really gave me the confidence saying I already have a big enough database of customers. It's like, yeah, validation. Yeah, so I think it's important to validate your idea before I think, you know, you're so passionate about what you want to build, the change that mm. you wanted to create. But sometimes having that, you know, harsh, real, you also need to deal with harsh reality. Sometimes, you know, the product timing is really important. Yeah. It might be too early. I found that when I started my first business, the financial literacy education, I found mm-hmm. that my timing was a bit off. It was like more than 12, you know, it's about more than 10, 11 years ago. It was too early. Mm, I found whereas that nowadays, I think it would be doing really well. Like people are mm. becoming a lot more financially conscious in a way. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, my tips and advice would definitely be around, you know, test the idea first before you even consider turning mm-hmm. that into your full-time thing. At the same time, you know, a business can start as a side hobby, like exactly yeah. what we did. Um, so you're not giving you that yourself that much pressure when it comes to, f- like, money. It is it is really important, you know, if you want to still be able to put food on the table and having a full-time job and a side hobby, they can coexist at the same time. Sometimes people can feel quite binary. I want to do this business, which means I need to quit my full-time job. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, you can... Definitely juggle both. Yeah, yeah, you can yeah. juggle both first. It's not easy, it's difficult, but running a business is definitely not going to be easy. Mm. And once you maybe have a number in mind, and once you hit that number, then you can switch... Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, taking the leap is like a huge topical question. And again, there's no right or wrong answer because it really depends on your risk appetite, what business you're you're trying to launch. Is it tech? Is it mm. e-com? Is it, you know, uh, a brick and water? Like it, there's so many factors involved, like how much fixed costs, initial fixed costs cost you need. Um, so there's no kind of, you know, one size fits all answer. But I think Definitely thinking about your risk appetite, your runway, can your family support you if you fail, you know, not everyone has a luxury um, to have this to fall back on. So very, very valid points. So just moving on to like something, uh, you know, looking at the e-com business model specifically. So did you, you have your company on Shopify or... Yeah, what, so what we, do you use? we set it up on Shopify. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're still on Shopify. At the same time, we our goal is to allow as many people to have access to our product as possible. Mm-hmm. So we just recently, you know, we started to get into retail, mm-hmm. uh, even um, online distributors as well. And, yeah, so now our distribution channels will be retail, online, and as well as on our Shopify store. Mm. What, what would you say your rough ratio is from, like, you know, D to C directly from the website to uh, distributors to retail as well? Distributors and retailers, it's very, very early. We actually just started. And I think it's mm-hmm. also a very interesting time that when we started, we weren't 
we went to second lockdown. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so people could even go so, out and yeah, buy them. Yeah. yeah, so I would say majority still come from our website, mm-hmm. and which is great because it shows that we have a strong brand love. Mm. Uh, even without data, you know, people actually would just type in the kind friend journal wow. into Google. They mm-hmm. already know the brand, yeah. um, which, which, yeah, which is great, which is awesome. Yeah, and in terms of like tech and data, like how do you have any tips on kind of building a strong EDM and a strong newsletter list or what kind of great marketing tools do you feel like have potentially failed or have kind of like never failed you? It depends on what your end goals are. Um, I think you need to measure what matters to you. Um, to your business and you know to your business goals as well so everyone's business even if it's all d2c you might be measuring different things to us and for us yet edm we definitely send out edm we have a really strong edm base that's we want us to continue to create that relationships and Mm. dialogue with our customers we also do influencers marketing you know where we would track the return on investment with each dollar that we invest into influencer marketing Mm -hmm. Um, and we initially we don't do that as much now but initially to get the brand out there you know it's a new brand we yeah. also invest in social media um, advertisements mm-hmm. yeah I guess like on the point of influencer marketing what kind of what how would you what criteria would you guys use to identify the right influences for your brand because I think you know there is influencer fatigue nowadays and for you know our audience who is listening who are kind of a bit fed up of influencers not really producing that return on investment. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how to, yeah, identify the right influencers to create, you know, who are also aligned with the brand, right? First and foremost is definitely brand alignment. I think the values really need to align. You know, we look for influencers who also want to um, debunk the stigma associated with mental health mm. or influencers who already journal, mm-hmm. um, which means, you know, the lower the barrier of entry is so low that Mm. they already believe in the benefits of journaling. So that's number one. And second, depends on what we're hoping to get out of that campaign. It might be user-generated content. It's not about transacting. It's not about sales. Mm -hmm. So we've approached a few artists. You know, they have amazing um, way of creating templates. Um, They might be doing calligraphy on our Mm. journals um, or little doodles on our journals. We've done that. But if we're looking for conversion, we might be looking for wellness influencers Mm -hmm. knowing that that's the community that they do attract people either do yoga meditation people who's really into that mindfulness space yeah um and then you know journaling is also a wonderful tool for a lot of ceos and entrepreneurs so we might even reach out to um influencers or thought leaders within that space i think for us is not as much about how big their following base is Mm -hmm. but it's more around how high the engagement and how Mm -hmm. much influence yeah yeah. the quality and how much influence that they do have uh with with their followers Mm -hmm. with their community yeah I definitely recommend for any brands looking to work with influencers to always you know kind of request to see their stats um and understand the breakdown of which regions their customers not customers their um followers are in and you know what age bracket and I think that's super important because if it's you know they've got a million followers but say it's like all male or all female and it's not the right target market for your brand then it's gonna go to waste right no super interesting and so 
Then moving on to the B2B component, I think it's really smart that you've kind of developed, um, you do workshops and you work with a lot of cool corporates, including Facebook and Barclays, which we did one, not the same one, but I did one on personal development and Jamie did one on journaling and which is kind of under the same bracket, personal development. Um, and so tell me a bit more about why you decided to go down the B2B component and how do you, just some practical advice on how you approach these these corporate clients, right? We never thought that we were going to B2B initially, to be honest. I was, you know, when we had this idea, I was actually in New York. I was so inspired by all these amazing D2C brands. One so of them is Glossier, you know, <laughs> I was just so inspired. And then they just have a way of telling stories in such a way that really emotional, like very engaging. Mm. And and that's something that I love doing, you know, storytelling, branding, marketing. Um, and what happened was when we launched the jur- journal, when we launched mm-hmm. the product, I think one of our earliest customers actually came from a corporate client. It was almost Christmas. We, end, we launched our journal end of November right before Christmas and and one of our first clients, they were like, hey, we're actually looking for a Christmas gift for our team. Are you Mm. able to customize or emboss our logo onto your journal? And I'm like, whoa, that's a wonderful idea. Like that means immediately I will have, like I will be able to reach out more hands, more people through just one company. And it kind of just started from there. I remember right before Christmas, I think we closed three mm. B2B deals. Wow. Um, and that's volume for us mm. as well. Yeah, totally. Because it's like, yeah, it's bulk, bulk created, right? And prior to that, I was doing partnerships for Carousel. So that's something that I always really enjoy doing. Mm. And, and for me, I'm a big believer in in compound interest, you know, building yes. your network. Starting. We always talk about yeah. this. <laughs> I like in life, I think everything in life is around compound interest in, you know, in fun, like in your finance, in your health, in your mindset, your in your relationships, relationships <laughs> in your career, everything. Totally. Um, and when you do some, when you run a business, you really have to understand what your strengths are. So I've noticed my husband and I both have a huge network that we can tap into, especially within tech. Mm. Uh, you know, his entire career is in tech. He started his career out of Microsoft and after that went into Dropbox, Salesforce, Facebook. So he knows so wow. many people. And for me, yeah. I started my first business when I was about 2021, 20, which means I started to really learn how to build network, build relationships mm. since, I, since I was that age. So what happened was after that three B2B clients, we just started to reach out to everyone that we know. We were so shameless. <laughs> You have to be. Uh, you just yeah, you just <laughs> you have, have to, to be. be. Reach out to every almost everyone that we know, or our friends, or our family. And through that, I remember our first year of operating the business. I think we closed almost forty B two B deals. Wow, um, insane! Which a lot of people were like, how did you close so many large, you know, MNC clients? And for me, I'm like, no, you haven't. Like, I, I think sometimes people see the trees, but they don't see the roots. Yeah, yeah. They haven't seen the amount of time or investment that we've invested into building this relationship, you know, mm-hmm. since we were young. Right, I see people kind of think it's just like one quick email and yeah, you get like a quick response, but it's like you've been building this network, you know, between you and your husband for, for years and years, but, ha- and then being able to tap into that is just, you know, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I think, um, you know, you asked about, you mentioned about wellness workshops as well. Mm-hmm. I think for us, we just let our customers really tell us what they want. 
mm, and then see if we can, it, yeah. yeah, and then see if we can actually feel like we have the ability to deliver. Like mm-hmm. if we say yes to something, you know, we want to make sure we deliver well um, and over deliver as well. So I remember one of our earliest clients for B2B was Spotify. And after Spotify employees got all our journals and, you know, they, they were like, hey, the templates, we really know how to use the setting goals, building habits, cultivating gratitude because all the templates are there. Mm-hmm. But when we turn into the second half of this journal, which is the daughter pages, blank pages, we have no idea what to write. Would you be able to run a workshop for us to actually under, help us understand how we can journal using blank pages rather than just the templates. Mm. So that was our first workshop. And then through that, word of mouth started to spread. And then other clients started to giving us ideas around other workshop topics. You know, LinkedIn's like, can you run one around setting goals? Mm. Salesforce be like, can you run one around, you know, how to reframe your inner dialogue, reframe mm-hmm. your inner critic? Um, so I think one thing for us as a startup, you have the way – the beauty is that you're able to stay nimble. Yes, yep, yeah. And, you know, you hear ideas, you hear suggestions, and you feel like you fit into your business objectives and mm-hmm. roadmap. You can easily launch it yeah. um, very efficiently, very fast, and you can take feedback and pivot very quickly mm-hmm. as well. And give, you know, your potential clients or customers what they really want mm. instead of spending, like, years building something that you think they want and then putting it to market and it just not shifting or going off the shelves, right? Yeah, no, I love that. Thank you so much for the advice. So I just kind of want to move to more personal questions. I always do this, you know, format at the end um, just so our audience can get to know you a bit better. But first question is, what's one thing you wish you started doing earlier? investing (laughs) that's the same answer as the last you know guest that I had on the show the millennial money boys they did say but they were talking about investing as well so yeah yeah I think um Warren Buffett started when he was about 10 or 11 you know he started (laughs) reading reading financial (laughs) reports when he was like that age 10 or 11 um so for me that's something I wish I've started earlier, not not as much around the, you know, earning money part. I mm-hmm. just found that when you invest, you actually learn so much about a business when you're, you know, if you invest in equity or in mm-hmm. other different assets, you, you learn, you actually learn a lot about the world through doing that. Yeah. Um, so that's something. Or just how a business is structured, mm. right, in terms of shares and equity. and Yeah. So, so when I mentioned investing, I'm more skewed towards the equity part. Mm-hmm. I think my husband has a huge influence on me in that in that space. So he's he's been investing since he was a uni student. Wow. And, um, in like, startups? In equity. In equity, right. Yeah, so now he also invests in startups as well. And just by watching him, you know, the way he does all the research and and reading and look at, you know, market insights, I found that extremely fascinating. Mm. And just learning from him, I'm like, wow, the things that you learn from investing into different companies or in Mm -hmm. equity, you can apply a lot of that knowledge into your, your, your own business as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I started because I work a lot with um, a lot of wellness uh, e-commerce companies. And so, you know, just being, you know, abreast of insights, industry insights and trends. And so started to invest in the companies which aren't, aren't that well known yet, but, you know, have potential have you just IPO'd and are looking to kind of like blow up. One of which is like we were just talking about like functional mushrooms. Mm-hmm. There's a few brands out there who I think are going to kind of really blow up in the next few years or so. 
so yeah really exciting what is one value you've lived by throughout the years that has really kind of helped you to develop in your mindset well-being and lifestyle and you can't say journaling <laughs> I think I just briefly mentioned you know I I mentioned that I'm a big believer in compound interest and that's you know in knowledge health relationships career mm. and mindset as well um, you know, a little something each day, a little by little, a little can become a lot. Little becomes um, your life. <laughs> it's exactly. And I think sometimes the most important things is actually the little things. Yeah. Um, so we use previously, you know, we use relationship as an example. Fitness, when I, what happened with my first business, you know, during that four years, I actually didn't exercise. For me, I feel for the like whole, that's so unlike you. You're always ex- and you're in such great shape. And yeah, you're always exercising. like a lot of wow. my friends right now found it hard to believe because one of the most frequent questions that I get from my, you know, from my friends would be, "How can you wake up at six every morning and go for a run or go to the gym every sing- almost every single day without fail?" Mm. But they don't realize that it actually took me over two years mm. to really build that habit. You know, some people say habits takes yeah. about two months. For me, it was two years to wow. build to build that habit for me to go out and run or go yeah. to the gym. Um, when I was doing my first business, for me, I feel like every single dollar should be invested back into the business. Mm-hmm. Every free time that I have should also be invested back into yeah. the business. I was, I would say I was pretty... Totally overburning. Yeah, <laughs> I was overburned, overworked, overwhelmed. And that was my first time running a business. And I feel like my only competitive advantage I have against everyone else was my ability to learn. Mm. Um, so I kind of I completely negated my, my health. But now I feel healthier than ever before. And I think it's because I started to build that compound interest with my physical health as mm-hmm. well. You know, it, started, it was so hard initially that I had to sleep with my active wear. Wow. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh they say go that you should put your active wear like right by your bed but sleeping is like <laughs> you know it's actually not great to sleep in tight clothes I read somewhere the other day that it's actually re- there's so many benefits to sleeping naked apparently um just for the skin and everything I'll let you research it but yeah so I can assume sleeping in like tight active wear is not great yeah, you don't need I that was, anymore. You don't need that motivation. Yeah, I think I was just trying to lower um, the barriers as much as possible. And, you know, I love mm-hmm. wearing heels. You know, I would not be able to wear heels if I didn't wear my sneakers. I will put my sports shoes outside as well. So it's like sleeping with my active wear, put my sports shoes outside <laughs> to, like, motivate me and to remind me to exercise. But now I've been doing it for so long. Yeah. It's I just wake up so naturally, six o'clock Second in the morning. Nature. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's in already my mm-hmm. DNA, already in my system. Yeah, I feel like I've only recently started to get back into working out like religiously. I've always been very active, but I just never was hun- like very disciplined. It was like once or twice a week, which, and now like over COVID, I think I you know if I skip a day of not working out, I feel it feels almost weird. You know, I feel like aggy or like key it away and 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 it doesn't feel great so I think yeah and working out in the morning is just such an incredible rush of endorphins and so when you get to your desk you're just like feeling settled and ready to tackle the day mm. um okay so the next uh, few questions I have is what is something you would say to people who or anyone who's listening who has a real desire to pursue their own startup but maybe dealing with limiting beliefs 
something that I do when I have limited beliefs about myself or self, you know, I still go through self-sabotage that I feel like I'm not good enough. I use these two very specific methods. I think one of them is actually recommended by my therapist. So the first one was called um, psychological distance. So it's mm-hmm. trying to distance yourself from that situation. Have you ever wondered why if one of your friends come to you for for like a come to you with a problem mm-hmm. and often it's quite easy for us to provide a solution immediately. It's because we're not emotionally attached to that mm-hmm. situation. Mm-hmm. So how you can distance yourself from that situation is you put yourself in another person's perspective. Mm-hmm. So for example, right now I might be feeling super vulnerable doing this podcast. I would think <laughs> it's not that bad, <laughs> Jamie. No, I'm just using that as an example. I'm pretty scared, pretty vulnerable. And You're I doing would, great, by the way. <laughs> so I would ask myself, you know, what would Michelle Obama say to me right now? Right. And, um, you know, she's all about owning your story, writing your, like, really own it and write mm-hmm. your own story. And by having that view, it allows me to detach myself from how I'm thinking about this situation right now. Mm-hmm. And another example, I remember when I wanted to ask for pay rise. And, you know, I never worked for anyone before. I was like, yeah. I'm so scared to ask for pay rise. Um, they say it's a lot, com- lot more common in females as well. Yeah, I was like, yeah. what happened? You know, if they say no, what am I going to do? Am I not good enough? So during that time, I also asked myself, you know, what would Cheryl Sandberg say to oh, me wow. right now? Um, and I would write down all this different advice and I'll just keep repeating it in my head. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm actually putting myself in another person's perspective. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking more clearly and more objectively uh, rather mm-hmm. than let my emotions cloud my yeah, judgment. Yeah, strategy. Yeah, and the other one that I use, it's, it has the same intent, but it's called temporal distance. So mm-hmm. you need to become an expert at time travel. Okay. So it's kind of like, you know, when you look back on this experience in five years' time, would that matter? Mm. How would you see that? How would you, like, where would you be in five years' time? So, for example, right now during COVID, five years' time looking back, what we're experiencing right now probably would not be as, as big as significant yeah, yeah. As significant and it also help you to understand that all things pass and yes, yeah like two shall pass <laughs> <laughs> they shall pass exactly yeah and also you know you can also teleport yourself back into the past mm. so i remember during our first lockdown in singapore during circuit breaker i read this book called the great influenza um so ah, it, it talks about, about history the, yeah. yeah spanish flu mm-hmm. that happened during World War, World War Two or World War One? I, I think it was World War Two. Mm. And um, can you imagine the the world is going through a global pandemic? On top of that, it was also World War Two, <laughs> yeah, totally. and there's no internet. You know, there's no Spotify, Netflix. You can't watch the news. You can't really. call your family. And by teleporting myself into that time. I just feel so grateful, even though we're going through COVID, I'm just like, I can call my family. We can even use these fun mm. filters when I call my grandma, you know, she can turn into a rabbit using all this filter. Um, at the same time, I have so much entertainment at my disposal mm. and we're not going through a war right now. Yeah. Um, so that also helped me to reframe my mindset mm-hmm. when I'm doubting myself and yeah, help me to yeah. broaden my perspective and zoom out from my present moment and help me to think bigger. Mm-hmm. I love that technique. My therapist also recommends that, you know, not so much time travel, but she gave me a framework for 
uh, approaching conversations in conflict, like when I'm having arguments, say with my boyfriend or something, and she, the last point is really to like think about will this matter in 10, 20 years time? If not, then it's not worth kind of getting so, you know, uh, huff and puff about it. So it's really, it's a really good um, strategy to use. I really like that. Thanks for sharing. Um, and so my second to last question is what does your morning routine look like? I, my husband always says that I, he feels that like I'm a soldier in the morning. <laughs> That's crazy. That was so funny because, um, I bet like, you're like, you can be up at 5.30, like workout journal, <laughs> reading, yeah. made a smoothie already, had your coffee. It's like only 8am. <laughs> it's, um, I'm very, very protective of my morning routine. I found that that's a special time that is for me. Mm. Uh, one thing that I stopped doing is to scroll through social media the first thing. I, I know, that's the worst. I've been kind of creeping into that slightly. It's it's kind recently. of like you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't invite hundreds of people into your bedroom first thing in the morning. But if we <laughs> scroll through be like that. <laughs> She's like that, patting her eyelids. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about you every time. Yeah, because <laughs> when you, in the morning. you know, when you scroll through your Instagram or your Facebook or TikTok, you're letting other people's life determine how you yours, feel yeah. the first thing in the morning. Mm. So that's probably one of the best things that I've done, um, started doing since last year. And my morning routine, usually, you know, my body's so used to it. It's like a machine. Even if I only get like five hours sleep, it'll still wake up at six. Mm. Um, and I go for a run, a jog, or go to the gym for like an hour. Mm. And then after that, that's when I journal with my coffee. Um, and normally I'll be by work, at work by nine o'clock. How long do you usually journal for? Is it, it is there like a set time or do you just do it? Like average probably kind of, 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah around around amount. 30 minutes. But it, it ranges. Sometimes, you know, inspiration hits mm-hmm. and then and you just like, like, oh, one hour pass. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely me. Sometimes like one hour and a half. I'm like, gosh, I need to get to work now. Yeah. You know, it's so true. Sometimes it's you're just of, yeah, inspired. I feel like morning's kind of like I'm taking myself out on this special date every morning. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, no, it's a really good way to just reflect and... For me, sometimes it's been so hectic with work and life and everything and just very super grounding and a good way to just release my emotions, you know, positive and negative. So, yeah, totally. So what is one book? I know you're a big avid reader, too. We're always showing book um, book titles. But what is one book you'd recommend to a friend and why? There's one book that even when I move countries... I always either buy a new one or I will bring with me, which is Ray Dalio's Principles. Oh, I love that. It's a good book, yeah. Yeah, because this book's all about mental models. And I found, mm. you know, mental models really around how you think, mm-hmm. um, how you solve problems and the yeah. way you think eventually becomes the way you see the world. Mm-hmm. And he actually compiled, you know, he's one of the world's most successful investors, one of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. And he combined... 40 plus years of his experience the way he thinks in life in work and outside of work into this amazing book Mm. and I found that even if you're not doing a business even if you're not an investor it's applicable for everyone I need to I need to buy it again actually a friend of mine recommended like lent it to me but it's so good that it's worth buying and rereading again and again and again it's like the concept of compound interest it's always better (laughs) to reread the good books than read many quality over quantity well thank you so much for sharing your story jamie 
Um, I think your expertise and knowledge today is really insightful. And I think a lot of people will be inspired to pick up the pen and start journaling again, I hope. Um, I know it's definitely brought so many, it's been a huge ROI on my life. So I think I really encourage you a lot to yeah, just pick up the pen and, and start journaling and, and who knows, soon you'll be addicted to it. Um, and so for those of you listening at home or wherever you are, um, Jamie has very, very, very kindly offered a 15% discount code on all of her journals on, on her website um, using the discount code and another startup story. Um, you can get 15% off and you deliver worldwide, correct? Yes. Amazing. And you can order at thekindfriend.com. So if you want to know more, all the details will be on the show notes and you can find The Kind Friend on Instagram at The Kind Friend. <laughs> and if you're looking for more inspiration, there's plenty of other stories, interviews and resources. Just head over to anotherstartupstory.com or you can find us on Instagram at anotherstartupstory. Well, thanks so much, Jamie. It's lovely to have you on the show. Thanks for having me.